Today I want to talk to you about one word. It's a very powerful word. In fact, this one word is so powerful, I think it has the potential to change our lives. We'll get to that word here in a second. But first of all, if you're new here, I do want to introduce myself. My name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here. And for everyone who is here today, whether you are right here in the auditorium, maybe you're on video screen somewhere in the building or watching online later on this week, I'm just so thankful that you've chosen to, to spend some time with us today as we celebrate Jesus together. Understanding what a word means before you use it, is an incredibly important part of life, is it not? Like if you use a word the right way or the wrong way, it can change everything in that moment. For instance, uh, recently I read a story about a pastor on Easter Sunday wanted to do something special. And with next Sunday being Easter Sunday, I thought I would share the story I read. He wanted to use uh, the kids in his Easter message. And so he invited any kid uh, who was in the room to come down to the front of the, of the auditorium at the platform there. It took a while to get uh, the different kids down to the front, but they all kind of gathered around the front wondering what in the world was going on. And the pastor told these kids, he said, uh, today is a very important day because today is Easter Sunday, right, kids? And they were like, yeah, they were all excited. Had no idea what was going to happen. Usually this guy's totally boring, but today he's using them in the message. And so they're like, yeah. And he's like, now, on Easter Sunday, it's important because on Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection. He said it with like this mysterious tone, and they were just like locked in. And so he asked the kids, does anyone know what the resurrection is? A little boy quickly raised up his hand, and like his plan was working to perfection. He's like, yeah, you, uh, what is the resurrection? And the little boy just confidently said for everyone to hear, well, I don't really know what it is, but all I know is if it lasts for more, for more than four hours, you should see a doctor. So as you can imagine, the impact the pastor hoped to have with his illustration was completely lost. I don't know how he ever, ever gathered the room together again. Knowing what a word means is incredibly important, is it not? Right? Like as a power to change everything. And the one word I want to talk to us about today is this. It's the word salvation. Or another word we would use is the word saved. Now, if you're here today and you are a Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian, but you've been around church for a while, you know we throw that word salvation. We throw it around a lot, and it's not a bad thing. Salvation is incredibly important, as we will see. We celebrate uh, salvation here at Element. In fact, I think it would behoove us to celebrate that last Sunday, Pastor Andy gave an amazing message. In his message, he gave an opportunity for people to put their faith in Christ for salvation. And last Sunday alone, we saw 14 people put their faith in Jesus for salvation. It's awesome. Another way we say it in church is 14 people got saved. Now, as I said, as, as a Christian, as someone who's around church, we're, we're comfortable with that word, salvation. We use it freely, and we kind of know what it means. But for someone who, is, who does not believe, I understand that not everyone who comes to our church every Sunday already believes or has been around church very much. And so for someone who, who doesn't believe and not been around church very much, we start talking about people getting saved, they might ask the question, saved from what, right? It's a legitimate question, is it not? If you don't know what we're talking about, you got to know what that means. So if that's you and you're, you're not 
normally around church don't believe in Jesus, I'm thrilled that you are here and you literally could not have picked a better Sunday to attend than this one because not only are you going to hear about what we need to be saved from, but you're going to get a front row seat for a challenge I have uh, for our church and those of us who do believe, a challenge to us about this word salvation and the implications it brings to our lives Uh, those of us who already do believe in Jesus. So let's level the playing field for a moment. Let's get everybody onto the same page. Here at Element, and really uh, in all of evangelical Christianity, when we use the word salvation or use the word saved, here's what we mean. That God in his love not only created the entire universe, but every one of us who lives in it that God created the universe and all of us who live in it, his desire for creating us was to be in relationship with us forever, for eternity. God wants to do that. The problem is we show up and we jacked it all up, right? We jacked it up. All of us have sinned. All of us. No, nobody is left out. If I were to pull the room and ask by show, of sin, uh, by show of hands how many of you have sinned in your life, we would all raise our hands. If you didn't raise your hand, that would make you a liar, which makes you a sinner. So welcome to the family. All of us, all of us have sinned. That sin separates us from God. It is an eternal chasm that separates us from God. The penalty for our sin, according to God's word, is death. Not just physical death, which we all die, but a spiritual, eternal death, eternal separation from God. So again, God, in his love, sent Jesus to save us, to save us from that separation, to save us from the penalty of our own sins, death. We say it this way at Element, that God, Jesus, God in the flesh, came as one of us, served all of us, died because of us, but rose victorious so that any one of us could put our faith in him, be forgiven of our sins, given a new life today, and eternal life with him forever in heaven. That is, that is what it means that Jesus came to save us. We sang about it in the song, Son of Man, during communion. That song that Pastor Jared wrote, it is literally a snapshot of the story of Jesus coming to save us. Communion, in and of itself, is a physical picture of the the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf, that he gave his body and his blood so we wouldn't have to. He paid the price, the penalty for our sins. My sin separates me from God, and there is nothing I can do to bridge that gap. No amount of work, no amount of effort, no amount of money or good living can get me back to God. So God came to me in the form of Jesus. Why? To save me and to save you. In the book of Acts, in the New Testament, it says this about Jesus. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, Jesus. Ephesians, also in the New Testament, chapter two, verses eight and nine says this. God saved you, there's that word, by his grace when you believe, you put your faith in him. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation, there it is again, is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it, that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith in him alone. That is the baseline 
of our salvation, that there's no work that can be done to gain salvation. The good news is God has already done all the necessary work. Amen? He's already done it all. And therein lies the problem with the word salvation for those of us who believe. Because I think sometimes, you're probably a way better Christian than I am, but I think sometimes for me as a Christian, because I know that God does all the work, it's very easy for us to kind of sit back and wait for him to figure it all out. We will say things in our faith like, that person really needs to be what? Saved. They need to be saved. Or I'm really praying for their salvation. Or we'll see someone, maybe even a famous person on TV or something, say, I hope they get what? Saved. Hope they get saved. And we use that word salvation and saved, I think, without fully understanding the implications it brings to our own life after we've been saved. Okay? So here's the big idea for today. If you want to write it down, you can. It's on the screen. God might do all the work of salvation, but he wants to use us to accomplish the work. <laughs> that God does all the work. It's already been paid for in Jesus. But he wants to use us as a part of that work in someone else's life. And if that's true, which I think it is, then we've got to answer this question, the big question for today, what should I know about the work of salvation? What should I know about the work of salvation? We're going to be in Jeremiah in the Old Testament, chapter 31, verses 1 through 14. If you want to follow along on the screens, lots of verses today. They'll all be on there. You can use your own Bible. I would prefer that. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, we'll give you one free of charge today. Uh, you can just ask for one at guest services out in the lobby, and we'll get you a Bible free of charge. Last week, a little setup here. Last week, Pastor Andy preached just an amazing message on having a burden for those who need salvation. It was a very heavy message. It's very challenging for me, uh, but I needed to hear it as well. And uh, if you weren't here for that, I encourage you to jump on our website, elementchurchwy.com, and watch or listen to that. But today, I'm going to kind of continue that conversation, okay? So these, are, these were not sermons necessarily planned together for a series. They're what we call standalone messages. But I just want to continue that conversation. I'm just going to share my heart with you today. There are some things about salvation that, that God has just been encouraging me with. He's been challenging me with some things. He's been convicting me about some things. I'm going to share that with you today. Some things I think we have to know about the work of salvation. Now understand, here in Jeremiah, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, is speaking to his people, the people of Israel, about the fact that they are going to be sent away from Israel into captivity because they were disobeying God, refusing his, his help and, and forgiveness. So he sent them away, but he is talking about calling them back to Jerusalem, back to their, their homeland. And while it is specifically about Israel, I think there are some principles that relate to us today. So Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 1, says this. In that day, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. Those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings even in the barren land, for I will give rest to the people of Israel. Long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. 
with unfailing love, I have, I want you to read that next word with me, I have, what does it say? Drawn you to myself. I have drawn you with love to myself. So here's the first thing we've got to know about the work of salvation. Number one is this, God is always drawing. God's always drawing, not, not, not pictures, okay, you understand, right? He, he's calling people. He's drawing people to him. Jesus, by the way, says something very similar as recorded in John chapter 12. So John, we know, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, he is an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He records Jesus saying this, John 12, 31 and 32, Jesus speaking, the time for judging this world has come when Satan, the ruler, or other versions say the prince of this world will be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, he's referring to the way he would die, when I am placed upon the cross, I will draw who? Everyone to myself. I'll draw everyone to myself. Now, there's some important things here we've got to understand. That phrase, prince of this world, literally was a title that Jewish religious leaders would use in their teaching for Satan whom they believed and they taught that Satan was the ruler of the Gentiles. Now, if you don't know what that means, there are basically two groups of people in the entire world, Jews and Gentiles. So if you're not a Jew, you are a Gentile, okay? And, and the Gentiles were considered by the Jewish people to be unclean, unholy, unworthy, and unchosen by God. In their teaching, Jews were never included in the kingdom of Satan, and Gentiles were never included in the kingdom of God, ever in their teaching. But Jesus uses their own terms and flips the script. He says, the time for the prince of the world, the leader of the Gentiles, to be cast out has come, but when I am lifted up on the cross, things are going to change, because when I am lifted up, I will draw everyone to myself including those Gentile people, those unclean, impure, unworthy, unchosen ones that you cast out to Satan, I will draw even them unto myself. And this would have blown the minds of the listeners to this teaching and probably ticked a few of them off. We, we sang about this, by the way, in the song, Oh, Come to the Altar. Several times we, we saw the words or sang the words, Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is made available to us by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is the song of Jesus, and that should be the song of his church. He's always calling. He's always drawing. That anyone and everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, the Father's arms are open wide, and he's drawing you to him today. That one single reality about the work of salvation should change, church, the way we think and the way we act and the way we talk and the way we pray and the way we conduct ourselves as a church. It's so encouraging to me, but it's also so challenging to me to know that every interaction I have with someone 
every interaction this week that I have with anyone in my life, God has already been drawing them to him. He's already been doing it. They may not acknowledge it. They may not be willing to admit it. But since they have been born, it has been God's desire and his plan and his purpose to draw them unto him. And now he's placed me in their path as a part of that process. Are you kidding me? That's encouraging to me. But it's also very challenging to me as well. Even in this moment right now, right now, God is drawing people to him. That none of us are here by accident. None of us. That God in his sovereignty knew who would be here and who wouldn't be here. And he led me to this message for this day for the people in this room or who would later watch it online for us to hear it and be challenged by it. Not only for those who don't believe, but also for those who already do believe. That you are not an accident, and you are not here by accident either. That God brought us here for a, for a reason. That he's always drawing. Always. So, parent in the room who has a son or a daughter who is currently not walking with Jesus, be strong and courageous, parent, for God is still drawing them home. For the family member or friend whom you love dearly and right now they don't know Jesus. And if they were to die right now, they would die a Christless eternity. Be strong and courageous, friend, for God is always drawing them home. That coworker that you can't stand, God's drawing them to him. And you'll be placed in their path this week, perhaps as a part of the process to bring them home to Jesus. That teacher who you think is treating your child the wrong way, and man, you are about to go give that teacher a piece of your mind. God's drawing them too. And the way you respond to that teacher might be a part of the process that brings that person to Jesus. That coach that's not playing your kid as much as you think they should play them, because by golly, my kid can't dribble, but he'll make it to the NBA. <laughs> and get a trophy whether he wins or not. <laughs> Don't even get me started, church. <laughs> that coach, God's drawing them to. And the way you respond to them might be a part of the process that gets them home to Jesus. The barista that will mess up your drink for the fifth time in a row. And you're like, sister, you make my drink every day. Can't you get it right? God's drawing them too. Isn't that challenging? It is for me. It is for me. God might do all the work of salvation, but he wants to use us to accomplish the work. So what should we know about the work of salvation? He's always drawing, always. That's why it is my goal as the pastor of this church that every Sunday in some form or fashion in every service we will provide at least the opportunity for someone to find Jesus today. Why? Because God's drawing people today. And there might be somebody in this room today that this could possibly be the last time they ever hear about Jesus. And God forbid I don't tell them about him. 
and give them a chance to find him today. Jeremiah 31, 4 through 6 then says this, I'll rebuild my virgin Israel. You'll be, again be happy and dance merrily with your tambourines. Again you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and eat from your own gardens there. The day will come when watchmen will shout from the hill country of Ephraim, come, let's go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. God is basically saying, I'm going to draw people with my love, but I want you to declare it's time to come home. So the second thing I know about the work of salvation, number two, is this. God wants us to declare. He wants us to declare for him it's time to come home. That for those of us who've experienced the wonderful grace of God through our salvation, our lives should be a declaration. Come on, let's go back to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. Or in our language, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that our lives and our words and our actions and our, our prayers, they should be pointing people to our God. They should be declaring that there is a way to be saved, and that way is Jesus. It's amazing to me, church, it's amazing to me that God chooses to use us to reach more people for him. That's staggering to me. God does not have to use us. God doesn't need me to preach. Doesn't. If God wanted to, he could show up right now on the platform, and if you had to choose between God preaching or me preaching, you're choosing God every time. He doesn't need me, but he chooses to use me. And he doesn't need you but he chooses to use you in your gifting and in your personality and in your scenarios and circumstances. He uses you just the way you are to declare to other people there is a better way. It's a better way. It's staggering to me. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21, Paul puts it this way. My daughter told me earlier, by the way, that she could hear me yelling from the conference room where she was doing small group. So I apologize for that. I'm a little worked up today. Paul, who called himself the worst of all sinners, what did Paul do that was so bad? He murdered Christians. And then God saved him and sent him on a mission to save other people. Paul says this about us, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task. This is the task of God's church, of Christians, reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, because of that, we, you, me, everyone who believes, we are Christ's ambassadors God is making his appeal through us that we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Sounds like Jeremiah, does it not? Come back to Jerusalem 
to worship the Lord our God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so we could be made right with God through Christ. And man, church, my heart is so moved by this. I'm so moved for people that don't know him. And I'm so moved for those of us who do, but don't seem to care to do anything about it. We have to do something, church. And I'm not saying that we're not. Please hear me. Many of you are better than me at this. But if there's one thing that will define our church, it's reconciling people to God. It is the only thing that matters. And it starts with his love drawing them to him. But he uses our declaration in the process to say, come back to him. But remember, he always draws with his love. Love that drew salvation's plan, we sang. God, through Jeremiah, says, I've drawn you with an everlasting love. The question is, are we demonstrating that love as his people to an unbelieving world? Are we? I believe our declaration about who God is and what he's done for us will not matter to those who don't believe unless we first demonstrate the love of Christ to them before they believe. His laws, please hear me, he has laws, God does. But his laws are meant to define the standard of living for those who already believe in him. It's his love that draws them to him before they ever believe. But we kind of start the process by looking at the world and saying, well, look at all this stuff. They're not doing it right. You guys got to get it right first. No, how about you get right with God first and then he'll make your living right. God does all the work of salvation, but he wants to use us to accomplish the work. So what should I know about the work of salvation? He's always drawing. He wants to use us to declare his love. Then number three, the last one is this. God is the one who delivers. That God's the one who delivers. What's that mean? It means this. Just like I can't save myself, I can't save anyone else either. And you can't. Believe me, friends, there are people in my life whom I love greatly that if I could choose for them to be saved, I'd make the choice today, but I can't choose it for them. I can be a part of their story, but I can't choose it. There's people I know in this room right now. If I could choose for you salvation, I'd do it, but I can't. I see people every day in my life that I know they are not living for Christ. If they died today, they would live a Christless eternity. If I could, I'd do that for them. But I can't. I can't. For the guys in, in the back, I'm gonna, just for sake of time, I'm going to skip all the way to the very, very end of this passage. Jeremiah 31, 7 through 14. I apologize, but I've got to cut some time out here. This whole passage, I encourage you to read it, Jeremiah 31, 7 through 14. All the way through it, God is saying, I will bring them back. I will do this. It's my people because of the Lord, because of me, because of I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. He gets all the way down to the end. We'll go to second part of verse 13. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. The priests will enjoy abundance and my people will feast on my good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. 
The whole last part of this passage is God telling us, you can't save anyone. But you can be a part of their story. That I'm the one that saves, but I'll use you in the process if you'll let me. And my question is, church, do you want to be a part of the story? Do we want to be a part of people's stories? A few weeks ago, Billy Graham, who I believe is the greatest evangelist of my lifetime, and I actually don't think there will ever be an equal in history to Billy Graham, partly because of the hypersensitive social media age in which we live. Okay, because Billy Graham was scrutinized, but if it would have been during social media days, he would have been silenced. Like, there's things that Billy Graham did for our churches and our country. His involvement, by the way, in the civil rights movement was amazing and little talked about. Billy Graham once bailed Martin Luther King Jr. out of prison when he was arrested during a civil rights movement march. If that would have happened with the same social media stuff we have today, my goodness. Billy Graham, once at a crusade, had had enough of the segregation at his crusades. They would rope off the stadiums, and on one half, you'd have African-American people, on the other half, all the white people. So Billy Graham left the platform, went over the rope, and removed it, and said, we will not live in segregation here. And the day he passed away, I didn't know Billy Graham. He didn't impact me in an incredibly personal way. I, but I cried when I heard. And I cried because I thought of his entrance into heaven. And here Billy Graham, after a hundred years of life, gets to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little. Come in and enjoy much. And as he walks into heaven, can you imagine the stories he heard? Hey, Billy, you don't know me, but at one of your crusades, I put my faith in you. Hey, Billy, you didn't know me, but this. Hey, Billy, you didn't know me. Hey, Billy, you didn't know me. Hey, story after story after story after story. I imagine the line to see Billy Graham in heaven was quite long the day he arrived. Of thousands, millions of people waiting to tell him, you are a part of my story. And church, we have the same chance to enter heaven and hear people say, you're a part of my story. You're a part of my story. So what do we do now? Where do we go? Well, I think one thing you can do is pray. All of us can do that. Andy challenged you last week to put a reminder on your phone. If you've not done that yet, I would encourage you to do that, that a reminder to pray at 9.51 a.m. or p.m. Andy said to pray every day. I'm not that spiritual. I pray on Fridays at 9.51 a.m. <laughs> so you can do one day, don't do every day, but make a reminder, 9.51, to pray for the lost. Just to pray. Andy said something as much as last week that was so powerful. He said, if you are not praying for the lost, you do not have a burden for the lost. You might say, you might use all the right words. They should be saved and praying for themselves. If you're not doing it, you don't care. And let me tell you where this challenge for prayer comes from. It comes from our denomination. 
We are a part of a phenomenal denomination called the Evangelical Church. Our superintendent, the dude in charge of our denomination, challenged all of us pastors and churches to pray at 9.51 a.m. or p.m. on one day a week for the lost. And here's why he challenged us to do this. I don't have permission to share this, but I'm going to anyway. He challenged us because there are churches in our own denomination who apparently don't really care about the lost. Our superintendent challenged one church that really was putting forth no effort to reach new people or lost people. And the pastor's response to our superintendent was, we're good where we are. Another church told our superintendent, there are no more lost people in our town. My dad pastored a church in Raffle J, Montana for a few years. Raffle J has less than 80 people in that town. My dad had 14 people by name from Raffle J. He still prays for every day that did not know Jesus. There's people. We just don't care enough to reach them. When I say we, I'm not talking about you, I'm talking about we, the church. So pray, 9.51 a.m. or p.m. One day, every day, put it on your phone, join us in that prayer. Second thing you can do is invite people to Easter services or church in general. There's invite cards on your chair. Service times are different next week, 8.30, 10, 11.30, and 1, no 6 p.m. service. Starting a brand new series that I think is going to be super helpful. It's been, I've loved some stuff I've learned about Psalm 23. Invite someone. You might say, well, how do I know when to invite them to church? Listen for three knots. Huh? Here it is on the screens. Three knots. When someone says, I'm not currently going to church, ding dong, there's your opportunity. You're not? I go to a church. I love it. Hey, here, here's an invite card. Why don't you come with me? Yeah, I just, I just keep mom me. It's no big deal. It's weird, I know. But here's an invite card. <laughs> invite somebody this week. Not going well. Man, things are not going well for our family right now. We are growing through this. I lost my job. My wife found out she has cancer, whatever. Things are not going well. Hey, you know what? Things don't, don't go well all the time in my life either, but can I tell you a place where that really helps me is my church. Hey, here, here. did you come to church with me on Sunday? Last one, not prepared for. Holy buckets, we were not prepared for that. You know what, man, life is full of surprises, isn't it? Let me tell you a place that helps, though, it's my church. Would you come to church with me? Three knots. Not going to church, not going well, not prepared for. Lastly, maybe your response is not praying for lost people yet. It's not inviting someone to church. It's literally inviting Jesus into your heart to be your Savior. And make no mistake about it. You are not here by accident today, and you are not an accident. That God made you just the way you are, knowing every sin you'd ever commit, and he still sent Jesus to die in your place. And if you'd like to talk more about that, I'm not going to give a salvation response in the service, but if you want to talk more about that, would you find me or one of our prayer team members at the back of the auditorium when we're done and just talk? We're not going to force you into anything. But if you want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus, you can do that with me or our prayer team following the service. I love you guys. Let me pray for you. And then I got just a couple of quick things to close out. And so remain seated if you would. Father in heaven, thanks for being such a great God. Thanks for loving us, for calling us, for dying for us, for forgiving us.
Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Help us be a part of the process. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're new here, we'd love to see you in the living room on your way out, right out there. Love to see you there. If you need prayer for something going on in your life, stop by the purple tent in the back. There's a prayer team. They'll pray for anything going on in your life. And then if you came prepared to give, uh, please make sure and use those giving boxes. Easter services next week are different. Make sure and invite somebody to come. I love you guys. You're dismissed. See you next week.